You're listening to the We Lead Well podcast, where well-being matters. The show is brought to you in partnership with Progressive Masculinity and headteacherchat.com. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the We Lead Well podcast. I am Vicky Maguire. I'm the founder of We Lead Well. And as many of you will already know, We Lead Well is not just a podcast. Although the podcast does play a huge role in our mission to transform education by focusing on leadership and well-being. At We Lead Well, we believe that to lead well, you need to be well, that the two things go hand in hand. And it's this holistic approach to leadership that is truly transformational. So We Lead Well provide high quality leadership training through the Resilient Leaders Elements, which is a holistic approach to leadership that focuses on who you are and what you do. We deliver coaching in a variety of forms, including one-to-one coaching and group coaching. And we also deliver coach training. And all of these things come together to support schools and multi-academy trusts who want to turn potential into performance to improve outcomes for our children and young people, whilst ensuring the best possible well-being for everyone in the organisation. Now, a really important element of what we do at We Lead Well is to support female school leaders because we want to see as many women in leadership positions in schools as possible. So I created the Women Lead Well group coaching program to help women spend some time really considering exactly what they want, thinking about the potential that they do have to be school leaders and creating that real belief in themselves that they can do it and that they do have the strengths and the skills and the knowledge and experience to do those roles in schools. In particular, I'd really love to see and hear more women say that they want to be head teachers because I really feel that sometimes as women, we doubt ourselves and we doubt our capabilities and whether we could really actually do you know, that role as a head teacher. But I think that women make brilliant head teachers. So the aim of the group coaching program is to build that belief and self-confidence that we can achieve whatever it is we want to achieve. And I've also created the Women Lead Well Network, which is really, it's a space for female school leaders, a shared space where Women in education can come together to support each other and champion each other, a place where they can connect with like-minded women and share their challenges and be reassured they're not on their own. And at the moment, I'm offering free membership of the Women Lead Well Network. So if you email me, it's vicky at weleadwell.co.uk. We would love to have you join us. We've had lots of new members in the last few months. So it would be great for you to sign up and join us in the network. You will have access to the newsletter, to the half-termly 
calls that we do where everybody comes together and we look at a particular issue that uh, might be facing female school leaders and you get to be part of the Facebook group and the WhatsApp group. So it's vicky at weleadwell.co.uk. Just drop me an email and you are very welcome to join the group. Today's episode is sponsored by Schools UK who provide supply cover insurance and have been doing this for 24 years. The reason that I love this supply cover package that Schools UK provide is because as part of it, there is a wellbeing package and it's just that little bit better than the other wellbeing packages that I think come with other supply cover insurance because you actually get face-to-face counselling as part of it, which I think is absolutely brilliant. I'm not knocking over the phone counselling because I full fully support counselling in any form but I think the, the fact that it's face to face just makes it that little bit better and there is also access to a GP which I just think for people who are busy teachers school leaders working in a school who don't get chance to take the time off to go and see the doctor and with the difficulty that people are facing actually getting doctor's appointments at the moment to be able to go online and make an appointment to see a doctor that very day, I think is just an amazing part of this provision in the wellbeing package. So if you want to get a quote from Schools UK to see if their cover insurance might be for you, you can get 10% off if you go ahead with the with the cover, if you buy the cover, if you use the code We Lead Well Podcast. And that would be a, a brilliant discount. So make sure you get down to schoolsuk.com to have a look at what they can offer you. So today on the show, I have an interview with Michelle Haig and we are going to talk everything early years, which is something I knew nothing about really until I started doing school visits. And recently I've been in quite a lot of early years settings and I've absolutely loved it. It's so different from anything I experienced as a teacher but it's so, so key in the development of young people. And I know that quite a number of senior leaders in primary schools find it quite a challenge to lead the early years because they don't feel like they know enough about it. So today we've got Michelle Haig on the show to share with us how you can lead early years more effectively. So Michelle is, uh, she's a founder of Heed, which is Harnessing Early Years Development. She's an accomplished and inspirational school leader, and she has a track record of developing high performance cultures, systems, and strategies to enhance academic standards. She has experience as a rapid school improvement partner, head of school development. She's been the head of an outstanding school. She has being part of the Teaching School Alliance. She's been an interim head. She's been an Ofsted inspector for early years and a coach. And she's established her credibility by delivering tangible results. And when you look at the things that Michelle has done, you'll be amazed. And she's she's absolutely fantastic. I am totally in awe of Michelle. And I know you are going to absolutely love this interview. So here she is, Michelle Haig. Enjoy. Michelle Haig, welcome to the We Lead Well podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Vicky. It's good to be uh, good to be talking to you today. Excellent. We finally got round to it. <laughs> I know it seems like a time flies, but then uh, the moment's suddenly upon you. I know. So, um, in the spirit of the show, can you 
first of all introduce yourself to the listener and give them a bit of a flavour of who you are, what you've done to get to this point and what you do now? Sure. So my name is Michelle Hake. I'm the CEO and founder of HEED, which is an early year specialist consultancy. We're partnered with Yuhu, which is part of the Findel Group. Um, I'm also the host of the Early Years Connect podcast. So we have that live too. So on a, on a day to day, I'm employed three days a week as part of Rapid School Improvement and a head of school development. And then the rest of my time is really split for HEED and building on the future of HEED as a business. So, but I guess I, I came into uh, teaching pretty late. It wasn't until 2010. Right. Before that, I'd been an Ofsted Early Years Inspector for eight years, had also worked on the Ofsted Complaints and Enforcement Team and as a team manager. But, you know, that life before teaching gave me a really good grounding. Mm. So I'd also worked in women's refuges for three years with women and children who'd experienced abuse. And um, interestingly enough, drove a double-decker play bus around Wolverhampton. Wow. I know. And the idea of that was to um, work with young people five to 16 years and um, really creating self-sustaining play associations. So we'd work with local volunteers and set up what was essentially after school clubs that were run by volunteers, but using the play bus as a vehicle. So a rather interesting life before teaching. Yes, very varied. Um, yeah, indeed, indeed. And then came into teaching and was fortunate enough to work with some really inspirational leaders and some leaders who were innovative, you know, took appropriate risks, but had a really clear vision for um, their schools. So that led me to be head of school myself in 2018. Um, and yeah, it kind of goes from there. So I've done a such a variety of different roles from governors to multi-academy company directors headships deputy head so that that's the great thing about heed because it pulls on all of that experience but we specialize in early years which is just a fabulous place to spend your time <laughs> i was i was thinking that before how must it be to be all day with such such small children because i'm used to being with like big children who sometimes you have to look up so that you can actually see them but with these children you have to look right down don't you what is it like to work with such small children I would say it's, a, it's an absolute delight isn't it because what you actually get is real authenticity so you get a real sense of who that young child is as a unique individual so they are the absolute delight of being their actual self yeah. which is brilliant because you can tap into you can tap into who they are and you can spend the gift of time getting to know who they are and i, I remember one girl and she was she was very quiet in class uh, so she wasn't very talkative she would communicate with her peers but she wasn't one of the um she wasn't one of the children who would speak the most often in class but you know when when you get to know her and you have a conversation with her and you find out what she enjoys doing in her time and she all of a sudden burst into songs singing price tag by jesse j 
And uh, it was a real turnaround moment from her to see this child who had been quite shy in class to just holding a microphone uh, and just singing it like there was no tomorrow. Uh, and that, that for me is the joy of early years, finding out what children are into and really giving them a strong sense of self and that confidence to really engage with education and to know, you know what, it's okay to be me. Um, and to show that awe and wonder and delight in the wider world. It's a magical place. I, I struggle to work out why people don't spend more time in there. I was just I was just going to say that teachers or leaders in older year groups or especially at high schools will be listening to that thinking, like, where does that awe and wonder go? We do we beat do we beat it out of them? Because it would be amazing to have the if children kept that sense of, you know, their love of discovering things and finding things out and the awe and wonder that they feel because it gets lost, doesn't it, in the school system somewhere? You know, it absolutely does. And and if we go back to nursery, so I was working in a nursery once and the uh, the head teacher said he would um, cover me for half an hour whilst we were doing some CPD with the rest of the staff. And uh, he'd got his suit on and he'd got a lovely beard and he sat there at a table starting off with some Play-Doh with eight children around his table. And um, one by one, they filtered away to do other things that had caught their attention and uh, engagement. So before he knew it, he was sat around the table just by himself. And he's like, well, where, where have they gone? Where is everyone? And it's like, well, you, you have to move with where their interests are and, and, and take it and build on it. And he's like, but, but what boy you were doing Play-Doh? We were fine. And um, it, it's really having that understanding of the fluency of learning in, in early years and really following children's interests and building on it. And I suppose if if you're not used to working with that vibrant line of inquiry, it can be quite daunting. It can be just like that head teacher, which is, well, where's everybody gone? What's everybody doing? Yeah, I suppose there's a sense that people are a bit frightened of that because there's, there's, I suppose there's order and discipline and, you know, much more structure the further up the school system you get. And I think it does scare I mean we probably do have quite a few listeners who are considering changing from maybe high school to primary school would they want to do early years of reception or even you know some of the teachers out there or school leaders who are thinking mm, would I prefer to be in reception to year six for example but it feels a bit chaotic or unstructured a bit frightening because you go from everybody sitting down nicely and I can teach from the front to everybody's just doing whatever whatever takes their fancy and there's a sense of that you might not be in control of it, I guess. Yeah, and it can feel it can feel like that. And yet a well-crafted early years environment is incredibly purposeful. And you will have those sit-downs. So your phonics would be a more sit-down structured time, maybe some direct maths input. But you're absolutely right. And I, I can think of another staff member. And um, I love how all of these people pop into your head because um, it, it's the vibrance of working with uh, staff teams, isn't it? And um, she was a year six TA. And we had a gap that needed to be filled in nursery. And you have to meet statutory ratio. So I went to her and said, please, would you just work the week in nursery? And she's like, you want me to go from year six to nursery? 
It's like, please. <laughs> so, and um, and she did. Only she did. You, just... you must be a good leader, Michelle, <laughs> if she would do that for oh, you. <laughs> honestly, she was, she was amazing. But then all staff members in school are amazing. It, it really is about bringing the best out in each other, isn't it? So she um, she went into nursery and she stayed for much longer. And at the end of the year, when we were structuring the staff and ready for the next academic year, she looked at me and she said, don't take me out of nursery. And um, and you think, what a turnaround. She said, if, if you're coming to talk to me to tell me that you're taking me out of nursery, then I'm I'm not impressed. I'm staying here. And um, and she did stay there and she was brilliant. But it, it goes to show cross that invisible barrier, get in there, because it, it really is the most joyous place that you can work. Yeah. I say that. I feel, I feel as if I've been a head teacher, I should be rooting for the other year groups as well. And they are amazing. Children in year three, I love you. Children in year two, you're brilliant. But there is early years is an amazing space. But when you then take that concept and feed it into your teaching throughout all year groups yeah the concept can... of uh, taking children's interests and and going with that and using that as a basis for for what you provide yeah you and the concept of knowing children exceptionally well and their unique personalities and really valuing that yeah and i have known some teachers let's say in year four who wouldn't necessarily know what activities the children are doing outside of school right and i would say that if you carry the concept of early years throughout the whole school what you build is is a, a phenomenal classroom of equal respect and really understanding how the class dynamics work but with a real transparency of communication and yes, building on building on what they're into and just the, the simple things that we do in early years all of the time. For example, building movement into your lessons. Yeah. So all of the things where, you know, formal learning can often be seen as being seated and, and at chairs and tables, even in year three, year four. And yet we know people need to move to learn we know it helps to feel, feed the brain we know learning is so much deeper when we build movement into our teaching yeah so we just need to be careful not to lose that as they go up through school yeah it's important i think I, I try to use movement in training that i do with adults so I, I do a i was doing a um an ect something with ECTs the other week and I at school I always used to play the Muppets tune you know the Manamana -mana. yeah and then they'd get up and they mingle and there's something there's something to discuss or something to talk about you you it's a it's a Kagan structure so you you hand I think it's called um stand up hand up hands up pair up stand up pair up anyway you 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 match up with someone you give them a high five and then you have a discussion with them about whatever it is you're supposed to be talking about and then you start the music again and you mingle again and you find someone else and they love it and they always talk about what they're supposed to be talking about like they yeah. never it's not i think a lot of teachers are really scared of things like that because they think oh it's going to end in chaos but actually i think they really enjoy it and because they're enjoying that bit they then will talk about what they're supposed to be talking about and I think that that element of things is so important even if it's just stand up and move a seat to your left 
and everybody everybody just moves around and then you work with a different person it, it makes such a big difference doesn't it it really does and the expectation of uh excellence in learning is still there isn't it just yeah. just, just because you're moving around a bit in the classroom doesn't mean the focus of learning is lost and, and far from it you know that that expectation of um what you want children to learn over time can still be achieved through that um movement in the classroom or you know taking a five minute break and getting a little bit of fresh air and really incorporating play into the learning as children go through through the year groups as well and it is possible i, I feel as if so was the head teacher of an outstanding school you know and that play based whether it's your talk for writing or maybe you're doing um, read writing and you've got your props as part of your text still really important as children go through school and you're right let's let's not squash it let's let's revel in it let's delight in it because you know there's so much progress with ai at the moment and on the early years connect podcast a few weeks ago we had dan the ai educator yeah uh, and he was talking about the rate of progress and the world within which these children will work so, and it might have been it might have been done actually i've been telling everybody about this since but it might have been that might be where i heard it i wasn't exactly sure i'd heard it but isn't it something like all of the progress that's been made in the last 100 years like we're going we're going to see that amount of progress in the next 20 years is it so there's some something yes. like that isn't it like progress is speeding up so fast yeah, definitely. What, what I would say is for accuracy, go back and listen to the podcast. But a quick yeah. brain recollect is there's a there's a 10 year period in which there was rapid advance in tech. And we're going to make that same progress now in one year. Right. So, so we yeah. want children, we need children to be able to innovate. We need them to be creative. We need them to be coming up with their own ideas and exploring it. You know, so we we have a responsibility now to really bring forward those skills and those values for our, you know, the generation that's coming through. Because and it's essentially we don't know what we don't know, do we? And it's really it's really hard because you're preparing children for a future that you don't know what it's going to be like. And if you think about ten years ago, and like like you're saying that progress in the last 10 years in terms of social media what you can do with the internet now online learning like we just we just didn't know that that was going to happen did we and it's like how do you teach children for a future that you don't know well it's making them as creative as possible isn't it so that they can you know whatever comes along their creativity can support them to utilize whatever it is yeah it's building character skills isn't it and the one beautiful thing about well there are many beautiful things about the EYFS but the one bit that can be overlooked and really shouldn't be is the characteristics of effective learning because we talk about the seven areas of learning and the early years foundation stage and there are also the characteristics of effective learning which really shine a light on the importance of the skills such as active learning bouncing back try again you know when you've created something looking at it reviewing it adapting the design going back again and rebuilding so the characteristics of effective learning really do provide a solid foundation to build character in the eyfs 
and that there are some great um, quotes on social media pages such as Instagram and LinkedIn around children being thankful for what they were taught in the in the UIFS. So, oh, really? Yeah, and and they're great, you know, um, because it really is the it, it's the fundamental skills that are just, taught in the UIFS that that has that real grounding for your future. Just for listeners who might work in a different um, setting just early years what does it specifically refer to yeah indeed so um so he specializes in early years in schools which tends to be your reception class yeah. and the nursery unit now right. traditionally schools would have taken children from the age of three or maybe what was once known as rising threes into their nursery setting yeah and then you have to make a separate application to the local authority or the multi-academy company to then be awarded a place at the school so it's not an automatic transition from your nursery into your reception place right some schools now are extending the age range and taking from two-year-olds oh, okay. so he's worked with schools to look at that age range extension so then they can have children from two all of the way through so then your early years provision would be from two to the end of your reception year and I, and I know that there are schools now who their provision goes from age two right up to to age 18 which yeah. so a through school all the way through and that, that's yeah. brilliant isn't it because you just think you must be able to offer so many of those students experience in the early years and uh, come and have some work experience yeah so I, I can see the real value of doing that so the early years has its separate foundation stage framework right so whereas the national curriculum will go from year one upwards in reception and in nursery um you can choose how you choose to um, meet the early learning goals but development matters and birth to three matters are really common frameworks that people would adapt right and i think is that sometimes where I know I work with lots of school leaders and a lot of primary school leaders in particular. Um, and I know some people who are going into headship in primary schools worry that they don't know enough about early years foundation stage because they might have taught in year three or year four or year six, but that they feel like they don't necessarily have that really good grounding in early years because it is something that's almost completely separate, isn't it? It, it really is because you've got a different legal framework that underpins it and then you've got what feels like a different curriculum mm. and you still then want children to make a seamless transition from the end of their reception year into year one so when they do say that gaps by the end of the reception year on average double by the end of their primary years wow so this really shines a light into the importance of making that investment into children's earliest years mm. and the idea is then that you have exemplary early year settings where your play is deliberate it's planned you've got a clear vision of what excellence looks like in early years for your unique school context and for the children that are unique in your year group because every year you'll have a, a different dynamic set of children coming in through the doors there's a big challenge at the moment, isn't there? Or that it feels like there's a big challenge at the moment in early years because a number of the children who are now in early years 
were pandemic babies and have not had as much socialization as they might have like as as older children might have done is that is that something that you're seeing i think it's very variable from school to school i think right. i'm sure it was the early years alliance that had done a study into the impact of the pandemic and they found mostly a lot of the socioeconomic and maybe behavior issues for children were, were mostly around children aged four to seven years girls right. and those families where there'd been a change of employment even if that was furloughed right i would say what we've certainly seen is more impact with years one two and three right especially for example um we would see children who struggle to negotiate on the playground um to and, and you think of the beauty of early years is when you're playing around the sandpit and there are already six people around the sandpit and yet you really want to go and play there you've got to work out your strategy you know as a young child who's maybe three or four are you going to get in the thick of it and muscle your way into a little space where you can get your hand on that spade or that bucket or that stone that you really want to play with are you going to stand back and wait are you going to ask if you can be a part of it? How are you going to deal with that situation? And children learn by experience in those very early years. And they've missed that. So then when you're in year two and there's a game out on the playground and maybe you don't feel invited to play, even if you are invited to play, what do you do? What skills are you building upon? You know, where are your connections that you're going to pull on in this time? So that what we've ended up doing is putting a greater emphasis on teamwork skills for children in years one two and three that's right. the picture that we've seen and we've done that as well by running out of school clubs so for example in a um let's say you've got a year two class and they're experiencing issues maybe on the playground it's really good to do an after school maybe sports session and do the sports session based on problem solving games Right. so that we're giving them and we're expanding the the range of opportunities and and the skill that they wouldn't have had in the early years because they were at home so essentially you're looking where the gaps are and considering what you can do to to catch them up i guess yeah definitely i mean we know many schools across the country uh, are putting more emphasis on speech and language well communication and language is one of the main focuses in early years anyway yeah and um, Ofsted have done a, a really helpful webinar actually about early years in schools, which really shines the light on the importance of communication and language. And there are a couple of really good documents out there too. There's, there's a document series called The Best Start in Life. And I would say to anybody who wants to really understand the foundations of early years, go and read The Best Start in Life, part one and part two. It talks about being relevant to children from birth to four years. And we know reception class goes beyond that. So it will take you to your fifth birthday. So you'll experience your fifth birthday whilst you're in the reception year. It absolutely lays the foundations for that. So a worthwhile read, but the emphasis really now on communication and language. I mean, you, you talked a lot about play, didn't you? And the importance of play and i don't think i'd quite 
understood like when you're talking about the the socialization thing and the you know figuring out mm, what do i do here i probably would have asked politely you know can, can i can i come and play here but but, <laughs> but what what why is play so important before we find out more about why play is so important i would like to tell you a little bit about our partner head teacher chat Head to Teacher Chat discusses lots of topics from how to support pupils with learning, how to support parents and the many issues that come with leading a school. The aim of Head Teacher Chat is to support head teachers and school leaders who are in a challenging and often lonely role. They do this by offering lots of different information for schools to tap into. Head Teacher Chat is more than just a platform. It's a community, a support system and a trusted companion in the ever-evolving journey of educational leadership. Whether you're looking for resources, community support or expert insights, Head Teacher Chat is there for you every step of the way. To find the support you need or to join the conversation, head over to Head Teacher Chat's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram or LinkedIn pages or visit their website at headteacherchat.com. Head Teacher Chat. It's what head teachers are talking about. Now let's get back to the interview. Yeah, it's the, it's the way the whole brain builds and the structure of the brain. It's the magic in which the learning happens. And we think of that as adults, don't we? And as children growing up through school, it's that hands-on, multi-sensory, multi-movement connection that really fires up the brain and fires up the creativity and into the memory and it's the repeated context so you know you experience something once in early years and then the context is twisted or deepened so that you're you're rather than going um progressively on that years ago you would have been encouraged to stand there and count 22 23 24 25 and if you could get up to 50 it was great whoops of joy um, whereas nowadays we look at really deepening an understanding of number so that children understand the concept of five and what children five mean yeah <laughs> right understand the concept of 10 so and and that's the skill that's the skill of early years because you're right and this is where we talk about quality early years isn't it because you want to walk into the classroom and what you want to see is deliberate purposeful play with high levels of engagement and uninterrupted time. And you look around and you glance at all of the children in the class and you can see that really deep level of engagement. You, you feel the buzz of learning, you see children talking and negotiating to each other. And that's very much what we want to see in, in you know, really well-crafted early years. In I was going to say, it's not just ad hoc play, is it? It's not just, Put the water out put the sand pit out put the uh, the chalkboard out with a few chalks there it's not a math and then just let the children go and and play it is actually really carefully sought out and well structured and you talk about you talk about sort of how that structure enables deep learning in early years to take place so how how does how do they how do you structure the classroom like i don't really know what that what that means like I thought it was just you know I've been in early year classrooms it just looks so effortless that it's like oh that's been put out there that's been put out there but there's much more thought 
goes into it than that, isn't it? It's much more structured. Totally. I mean, it takes great skill to be a highly effective early years teacher. And they early years teachers do a fabulous job. Reception teachers are absolutely marvellous. And it's about looking at your classroom environment. And for example, one of the things that's available on the HEED webpage is an early years audit, just a simple early years audit. And it talks about when you look around your layout, have you got a space for one child to play on their own? Have you got a space for two children to play collaboratively? Do you have a small group space, a large group space, so that you're crafting your classroom to meet the needs of all of the children? Because we know, for example, if children are sitting on stools, then it's going to strengthen their core. Right. And if they're lying prone to do some um, work, maybe they're doing some drawing using large flip chart paper. You think about it's a bit like doing a yoga pose, isn't it? Only we hold it for 10 seconds and we're ready for the pose to change. <laughs> um, and yet, you know, children they can will... squat down for ages, can't they? They can like <laughs> squat really, can. really, really low and be doing something and playing and drawing. I, I, I'm in awe of how children can do that. <laughs> I must say, my yoga is a little bit, my um, my eldest daughter is a yoga teacher, so I can probably hold it for a little bit longer than that. But, you know, the, the whole crafting of the environment, everything has a purpose behind it. Everything has a thought behind it so that you would craft and shape your environment, not only what's put out onto the tables or onto your freely accessible drawers or units, but actually where your chairs are, where your tables are. And why you've put them there. So, and, and I think that's the that's the joy of early years as well, because you get to craft the space in which children absolutely flourish. Yeah. And how much of an impact can early years provision have on the rest of a child's education? I mean, you you did you did mention that the gap at the end of reception is doubled by the end of key stage two and I know that that then widens by the end of key stage four as well a lot of the reason I think for the for the widening of that gap from key stage two to key stage four is expectations based on prior attainment yeah <laughs> that actually predict children to not do as well as their counterparts in some respects but that then it does then go back to quality in the early years doesn't it because that then feeds into the score that get key stage and then that's feeding into what happens at high school so what like how much of an impact do you think early years has on the rest of a of a child's education or especially if it's poor provision i suppose in particular yeah i poor provision is a tough one isn't it because the one thing that's at the heart of a high quality of provision is relationships with staff and they say you can have the most beautifully crafted classroom, but actually if you haven't got the staff in there building the relationships with children and, and really drawing the learning into and out of those experiences, then, you know, you're not going to get the full breadth of experience for those children. You're not going to have the impact. So the staff, the environments, they're the real shining glory in the early years environment so taking it back to what you say there are increasing studies now about the impact of early years on lifelong learning right and there are some studies coming out that look at the impact of what could be kindergarten 
or nursery class on um, financial attainment later on in life. So there's more and more of a collaboration coming forward and a recognition about the vital importance of those early years. And that's what we're aiming for, isn't it? We're aiming to give. When you think, um, if you think 90% of brain growth tends to happen before or during those nursery years, that's phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah. And then the brain will be nearly full grown by age five. Now, we know the brain's got enormous plasticity and it carries on growing. For example, key factors like empathy might not kick in until you're yeah, about your, prefront your prefrontal cortex, I think, is responsible for all that, isn't it? But sort of the rest of the brain is almost as developed as it's going to be. Yeah. So those neural connections are, are you know, they, they keep firing, although obviously some strands kick in later in life but you look at the potential that early years has got and yet in early years where you wouldn't want to overwhelm children so you know you still have your cognitive overload in there so when you're teaching for example you're minimizing the cognitive jumps that children have to make so that learning can be um can be embedded and, and once again, isn't it? That's so. If you're if you're teaching a lesson, and let's say you're doing some work around um, knowledge and understanding of the world, then you want to give them sufficient information to build their knowledge, but also you want that exploratory base where children can explore and experiment, and that you can add the vocabulary to. So you'll find in high quality early years classrooms now the vocabulary is very well planned and it's ambitious. You know, it's it's definitely an ambitious stage for children and that that play is so purposeful. And you, there are there are tricks here, aren't there? In terms of tricks, meaning techniques that you can put in place. So one of the other things that we offer on our website is a series of six um classroom inspiration documents where you can have a look and you look at um there's one written by Haley Fuller on brains and behavior what to do if a child's dysregulating in your classroom so um there's another one uh, that's written about um textures and then the importance of providing a classroom that really evokes children's curiosity so we know many classrooms now are neutral and that's no bad thing neutral um, in color but actually you that... still want you want the light you want the texture you want the exploration yeah. so you don't want it too neutral and too bad is that because some of the research is showing that overstimulation is is too much you know like a lot of high schools are going for no displays in classrooms now there's a big i know there's a big hoo-ha over it at the australia academy with even the bin getting in the way <laughs> no really no, yeah yeah there the, were the, the teachers there were told that the they weren't allowed to have the bin in the um sight line of the pupils or no paper on the teacher's desk and things like that it'd gone to to the extremes but that that overstimulation if there's too much going on that they can't concentrate on what they're doing so so a lot have gone neutral now have they rather than bright colors and 
Yeah, and I think it's interspersed in the environment, isn't it? So you've got the um, you've got the textures. For example, if you're talking about Little Red Riding Hood and a red velvet coat, then you're not going to really be able to understand the context of a velvet coat unless you've touched and felt velvet. Mm. And if we want children to be, um, you know, we want them to be readers, we want them to understand vocabulary, we want them to be able to write with fluency, then we need to provide that vocabulary in early years but also the richness of materials we want them to see how light cast shadows and you know to um to be able to take joy in that in in uh, i suppose exper it's experiential learning isn't it 100% yeah definitely definitely but for an early years teacher to be able to plan that out so that everyday learning is still sequential still challenging still play-based but every day there's you've you've observed children you've been watching you've been looking you hear their conversations and as a skilled early years teacher then you know how to take that learning deeper either in that moment or if it's at the end of the day ready for the next day just that slight change to an activity that deepens that learning it's quite a skill and it's blowing my mind really thinking thinking about this because i'm thinking wow how why would you even have time to to plan that and then i'm thinking i can totally see why a head teacher who's new in post would be totally daunted by the leadership of early years because obviously if you're looking at key stage one key stage two you've got evidence of a lesson taking place they're writing the, like the way that you quality assure things what you're looking for when you go in the classroom it's a completely different kettle of fish isn't it <laughs> it is and i've known some schools once again where work has been taken to a head teacher and what i'm saying by work is we're talking about a reception child that's written a sentence and that child has proudly carried their book to the head teacher they've spoken about the context of the sentence and the head teacher has then felt that writing is going really well in reception and already by let's say february march children are writing in sentences but actually the reality was especially in the situation that we're talking about that child couldn't blend their sounds so they had been to an activity and they had copied the writing that they'd seen as part of an example and that had been taken so it wasn't a true reflection of where that child actually is in terms of their progressive learning yeah and as a head teacher you might think yeah you were doing really well you know he's already writing in sentences it's early on in the spring term he couldn't sound his letters when he first came so there are my advice to head teachers would be just head down to the reception class get to know the unique children as they come in um, and really talk to your early year staff because let's face it they know they know the early years framework like the back of their hand they've got the relationships with the children the relationships with parents and they understand why their classroom's designed in the way it is i think that's that can be difficult can't it if you've got a one a one form entry or half form entry but if you're a smaller primary school and you're relying on that one person in reception to be providing you with the information that you need if that person 
is not quite as yeah. on the ball as they should be and that I think is something I think that's why it's important I, I always say schools should always look externally for help as well because if you are that new head who's coming in and you don't you're not that familiar with early years and with everything that goes with it and you're trusting that one person you've got in reception that's a lot of weight to put on that person isn't it and if if it's not right so you know using someone like he is for me like looking for that help someone who can come in and give you that external view provide resources for you if you need them like you're saying the little audit that's perfect isn't it if you're a new head and you're heading down there and you you're trying to get some initial idea about how how good the quality of provision is but i always say external experts are so vital for schools and always worth the investment because yeah. you you're getting someone in who is an expert yeah definitely i mean we've so we do a number of different things in school for example um some people buy heeding will go in and when i say do an audit what we're talking about we're not walking around with a tick list here because no. it's really not that simple you know you you can't walk around the tick list and go oh yes they've got a sand tray oh yes they've got this it it's much it's much more of a skilled expertise than that it's how your classroom is an orchestra that just sings together beautifully for children's learning and progress so we go in and we do audit spend the day do coaching or mentoring with the early years lead and then we'll often follow up in two to three weeks time with another coaching or mentoring session and then go back in the next term and do another audit so that all of the time we're looking at that cycle of improvement one of the things he's really recognized this gap in provision around leadership because the other question we would say is if you're a head teacher and you have very little experience of early years and you trust your early years leader and there are some fabulous early years mm -hmm. leaders out there who's leading your early years leader yeah who, who's inspiring your early years leader who's making sure that their practice is staying progressive and that you're really building on the latest research to make sure that your early year stays as good as it possibly can be. Who's doing that? So one of the things that HEED has launched is a leadership subscription where head teachers um, have briefings. So there's a head teacher's briefing that updates you on early years. We've only got to look at the, the many documents that are constantly coming out and keeping up to date is hard as a head teacher. Yeah. It's hard. So you'd be able to log on to a head teacher's briefing. We then hold, so HEED's very much more about connecting a, a community of togetherness. So we're not, there are documents on the HEED website, but we're more about connecting people, logging into the webinars. There are briefings, there are six minute strategy updates. There are early years drop-ins where your early years leaders and staff can log in to a live webinar where we'll talk about contemporary issues. And all of that takes away the isolation, that one form entry. You can log into a webinar, your leaders can log in, your teachers log in, head teachers have a different login. So, so that we look at early years very holistically because it takes everybody's buy-in. That vision's got to be clear, it's got to be shared, and everybody's got to 
take responsibility for implementing that vision every step of every day so you can so you can encourage your i suppose like you're saying if you've got if you don't have a nursery and you've only got one form reception then your early years lead is your reception teacher probably aren't they and that and they're working on their own and you provide an opportunity to, to join a broader community where they get that networking opportunity and they can have a bit more of a support network i i, I assume and yeah definitely. connect with other like-minded professionals yeah and and share resources as well share yeah. resources share ideas and top tips and that's what so we're we're working with a um, multi-academy trust down in bristol at the moment and we have four goals to achieve over a year's project and one of them is to build on the autonomy of the early years leader so that that early years leader the idea is that he will fade and that the early years leader will then have the skills to be able to autonomously lead the early years across the trust right but within that as well we're looking at building the literacy program across the trust so that there are shared resources it's financially smart to do um, from a sustainability perspective it makes perfect sense we're buying once across the whole trust not four times so there are lots of benefits here, but what it does as well is puts quality first teaching at the forefront. So we're able to moderate, we're able to network, we're able to really talk about how children learn in early years and make sure that that's the way the classrooms run. You know, I think about stories from years ago and I went to have a look around the school years ago and um, I was greeted by, it wasn't the head teacher, it was a head of year, and it was many years ago who said to me, we know children learn through play, but that's not how we teach here. And it's that, isn't it? If you know how children learn, then that's absolutely what you should be putting in your classroom. I'm a, I'm a bit I'm a bit gobsmacked at that. I, di I, I didn't apply for the job. <laughs> Needless wow. to say, it was it was a really memorable comment. So for head teachers out there, the the subscription would give them a really rounded package of support but also knowledge and expertise in early years yeah but as part of the leadership subscription you get a free teacher subscription so everybody comes on board with the development that's been made so we'll have things like vision writing um workshops as well because unless you're working to a clear vision then your practice can become ad hoc and when you spoke earlier about poor provision Poor provision is often where there's no shared vision. You know, and how no how how do you go about creating that that vision for excellence in early years? Yeah, so what we normally start with is is looking at the community context, the context of the school, and what's important to the school as a whole. So you might have keywords that come forward from lots of staff, such as community. Um, the fact that play-based is really important, the fact that they have wonderful grounds or that a lot of children in the locality live in um, dwellings without gardens, so that outdoor play is of pivotal importance to them in that school setting. So we look at what's important, what's unique about your school, what's, what's important about your school context, and what's important for your early years children to experience 
And then we start to pull all of that together into about two or three sentences, which makes it really clear what you aspire for your earlier setting to achieve. I really love that you you talk about recognising the uniqueness of a school and the context of it. And I, I, I bang on about it on the podcast all the time that each school is, I always think of schools as like it's a unique organism, like the makeup of it is totally unique. It might it might look similar to the primary school down the road. Like in this village where I live, we've got two primary schools and you would think, you know, they're pretty similar primary schools and they're really not. They've, they've, they're very, very different. They've got their very own unique way of being. Their, their communities are slightly different. Their intakes are slightly different. It, it really is so important to make sure that you do that work in understanding the context of the school, isn't it? And what makes it unique and tying that into your vision. Yeah, so one of the things we've been working with another school on at the moment is increasing their number of children on roll. Right. So many schools across the country over the last couple of weeks would have, have received their four years worth of um, numbers that they can, of children that are in their locality of school age. So your birth rate numbers. Mm -hmm. And we've seen some schools that maybe have a, a pan of 60 reception children and yet their local um, birth rate numbers are showing that maybe in two or three years time there are only 35 children in the locality so then you've really got to look at the marketing of your school what you stand for and how you're getting yourself out there yeah so we've been working with um, one school it's a very tiny school and they are quite simply amazing and the beauty of their school is that they would um, grow their own fruit and vegetables. They would then harvest the vegetables. They then cook them for the local community and host community lunches. Amazing. So there's there's a beauty and a uniqueness about the school. And we've been able to capture that with the advertising, with the marketing. We've written editorials. So all to really show the the culture of the school and the quality of education that children would be getting by going there. We've also brought in the CUSP curriculum um, written by Alex Bedford, and that's a and it's a phenomenal curriculum. It's it's fully sequenced, it's fully mapped. In these classes, you have three year groups together. So you have reception year one and year two together, and in another class you have years three, four, and five together. And the CUSP curriculum has given us a really strong foundation to then personalise to the unique needs of this school. But what it now means is the numbers in that school are already increasing. So we have mid-year transfers because the local community are now hearing how good the school is. And we are expecting high numbers for September 24 intake. So there's a lot to be said for getting your early years right in schools. Yeah. So, and how important it is to market your early years to get as many children as you can into your school so that you're you're full. Because we know as well that affects funding. And and it's something that I think is is really missing in a lot of the strategic planning that happens in schools. Having a marketing plan, I think I think that's missing for a lot of schools and even even high schools. You know, 
you need bums on seats because that's where that's where your money comes from and you need to make sure that you've got a plan for how you sell your school and because it's really important and like you said there you can see the outcome of effective marketing and i think it i think a lot a lot of leaders don't like the like the marketing or selling the school it it feels a bit like I don't know unbecoming of the public sector to think about selling and marketing but it's really important isn't it like in the village here you've got two schools and they're both they are competing against each other they're both pretty full because it's quite a vibrant village but I, I could see how if you know there weren't the numbers of children here that there are it would be so important to them to get that marketing right and but a lot of school it's like obviously like a dirty word isn't it to some well, schools i think we're humble as leaders aren't we and that's important, yeah you yeah. know that, that genuineness that authenticity that reason that we're in schools everyday working is is not to stand there with a great big trophy in your hand that's gleaming and bright but to see the quality of education that children receive and the impact that has on the community. So we're very humble as leaders. And I remember having, I was a head teacher of a Catholic school and I remember having an inspection and um, one, of the, one of the people involved had said that the staff members, the senior leader team wasn't on the school website in terms of our names and our roles. And we absolutely were. The only difference was we were right at the bottom of the staff list, not right at the top. And um, and the person just hadn't scrolled down to the bottom of the website because we wow. were there. But, you know, leadership's about leadership's about being humble. It's about rooting for your school and rooting for the people who work within it. It's that sense of togetherness and connection and a community working and striving together so that children receive the very best education. I think that's a perfect place to end it because I think you're absolutely 100% right there. Like as leaders, we are in service to our teams, aren't we? Absolutely, we are. And that, there's no better job out there, is there? And I think what's nice to see now is the value, the real value that's being given to the fabulous work that early years teachers do. Yeah. It's it's about time. It's interesting because when you were talking about, you know, good provision and poor provision and the impact it can have, I see that in my two sons. My older son was taught by a reception teacher who just, I don't want to say she wasn't very good, but she she wasn't very good. <laughs> and, and then my younger son was taught by the best reception teacher ever she was just brilliant you know you were talking about relationships she just loved the children and you yeah. you could feel that i felt so happy leaving my son there with miss bowman i would have i wanted miss bowman to teach him every single year for the whole of his primary school like she was just amazing whereas the other teacher was not the same i felt a coldness from her and she didn't seem to warm to James and one one has gone on to like knows what he wants to do really interested in film and tv really thriving in his b-tech did did okay at school but has always had a real love for learning things mm -hmm. and even when high school turned him off a bit 
he was always learning. He was always on YouTube finding things out and he'd say at the dinner table, oh, did you know this amazing fact? And you'd be like, wow, I didn't know. I didn't know that amazing fact. Thank you. The other one, like he now, he doesn't have a clue what he wants to do. I'm not saying like other kids in in his class have been successful, but I really do feel like that, that connection, that that really early relationship Mm-hmm. my older son just wasn't there and I do think like I've never really I've never really thought about it in those terms but actually when you look at the two of them they're very different kids but I do think that it had it had an impact on my older son that he didn't get that really special relationship with his reception teacher and then he was suspicious of teachers I think for the rest of his school life and he's sort of He's doing okay. He's got a job and he makes some money, but he's not, he doesn't have the same love of learning. He doesn't have the same passions for finding things out. And I think it probably does make a difference, doesn't it? It, it really does. And one of the things that, one of the projects that I'm working on at the moment is with Flourish Education. And we're looking at some round table events to look at the absolute magic of early years and how to lead your early years leaders. Because it, it is probably the most important year group in school and yet if we've got an increasing number of new heads because we know a lot of head teachers are leaving the profession Mm -hmm. so and when you're a new head teacher there's already so much to get your get your teeth around yeah so so then early years might not be at the top of your agenda so we're doing something yeah and (laughs) It should be, yes, but you've also got your health and safety, you've got your finance, your budgeting, you've got all of that. that you have yeah. yeah. So um, so we're doing some roundtable events with Flourish Education really, um, really soon. So they'll be good for people to engage with, but also to, um, yeah, pick up a subscription to Heath. That sounds like a sales plug, but I say that because I really believe in it and I believe in the value that it will give schools as leadership teams as well. And, you know, there are other... There are other early years um, foundation stage consultants, experts out there, aren't there? Yeah. We're we're not saying, (laughs) like, I got you on on the episode, not particularly to sell what you do. Like, I think you you have a great product and the work that you do is brilliant. And all, all I think is that, like I said before, we should not be so, I think a lot of schools, because of funding, and the way that things are and the way that things have gone with professional development and work that happens in schools that a lot of schools have gone very inward looking Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think schools need to be outward looking and you need to be I mean if you look at the core content framework for MPQ SL and MPQ H and MPQ EL it's in there you know Mm -hmm. one of the learn that statements is schools need to look for external experts to come in and support the work that they do and they should do because people like like you're saying you keep up to date with all of the latest developments in in early years I was was going to say you've got the time to do it Michelle but (laughs) (laughs) but you you take that on as your role in what you do to be up to date to know what the changes are to be really up to date like you're saying the legal frameworks that head teachers have to abide by so that when a head teacher uses you they can be reassured that 
that is the way it is like they're not they're not relying on the reception teacher who's been there for 20 years in the school and they're coming in as head and they're relying on that person who might not be reading all the latest papers documentation research whereas that's your role in your job because that's what you do and that's I think that's what I'm trying to say to people is use the experts that are out there and here is one and I think you've you've really given a really good overview of what early years is what what good early years provision looks like and how it's the the basis for a quality education or, or the basis for learning for the rest of a of a child's life it really is that important and I hope that some of our teachers and school leaders who work in other contexts in high schools or in upper key stage two or whatever have listened to this because I think it's even important as a year 11 teacher to understand that educational journey and especially if you're going to be a leader if you're going to be a senior leader in a primary or, or secondary school I think you need to understand the educational journey that a child has been on so I think you know you should know about early years you should know what happens in reception and then our child's learning you know how it how it's constructed from right the very start all the way through because I think it helps you as a professional to do your job much better so thank you very much for for joining us and sharing all your expertise and wisdom and your stories of all sorts of things that you've experienced <laughs> I enjoyed that <laughs> uh it's it's an absolute pleasure and an honest uh, an honor and as you say there are there are some really good um early years organizations out there and the nice thing is everybody works together you speak very much about working from a position of abundance yeah and um it's definitely that so thank yeah, you definitely so if people want to get in touch with you or find out a bit more you've referred to a few things that are on your website so where can they where can they find you yeah so um the website the best place to go to is youhoo.co.uk that's e-u-h-u.co.uk he'd have partnered with youhoo and find me on linkedin that's the most active social media platform that we use so if you go to those two platforms you're sure to find us great and i did find you on linkedin and i did see that you'd been nominated for an award as well which oh. you kept very quiet yeah well, apart so, from posting it on linkedin obviously but yeah, <laughs> yeah so I'm, I'm not standing here clutching a great big trophy that's really shiny and that's part of the humble leadership isn't it so which um, is what you were saying and which made me think oh but you, yeah, but you yeah. So, so I was awarded CEO of the year for early years education. Fantastic. So, so yeah. And then there's a if you know if people want to work with you, they know that they're you're a, a, an excellent provider. So that's yeah. so congratulations and well deserved. Yeah. Thank you. Well done. Thanks for joining us, Michelle. My pleasure. Thank you so much to Michelle for joining us on the show today. I have learned so much about early years from that. One of the things that I think is really amazing about Michelle is how much she really knows her stuff. And you can tell that in the way that she speaks. She mentions lots of books that you can read, lots of research that you can go back and have a look at. And you can tell that she is totally evidence informed in everything that she does and i think that's really great a really great role model for the rest of us in terms of how we should be basing our practice on the best evidence that's out there so thanks again to michelle i really really enjoyed that interview 
That's about all we've got time for for this show and for this year. We are a week away from Christmas, so whenever you finish, make sure you get some time for yourself over the Christmas holidays. Do some things that you enjoy. Don't just give to everybody else. Have a great Christmas, and I will see you in the new year. Take care of yourself, take care of your staff, and lead well. This episode of the We Lead Well podcast was brought to you in partnership with Progressive Masculinity and headteacherchat.com.